So I remember this one time when I was a kid that I earned a trip to a camp that was a long ways away from my home. It was about 700 miles away. So I had never been there before. Went out there to this camp. It was a totally new experience to me. I felt like a total outsider. I didn't know where anything was, didn't know when the right times were to go different places, what activities were available, and frankly, the camp didn't do a great job of explaining how anything worked. It seemed like everyone else who was there had been coming for years, and most of them had. And so they all knew how things worked there. They knew where to go. They knew what to do. But me, poor little old me, I I had no idea. Brand new, completely like a fish out of water, just a foreigner in this place. And it didn't really help that our counselor, the guy who was supposed to, you know, be our guide through this experience, had a girlfriend who was also a counselor. And so my goals for this week were to find out where things were located, find out when I was supposed to be at different places, and to have fun. And his goal for the week was to spend as much time as possible with his girlfriend. And those kind of met in a little bit of a conflict. So I remember one time when he asked me, a couple days into my experience, at this point I just lived in a perpetual state of confusion because a couple days in I still just didn't quite get where we were going, what we were doing. And um, he said, hey, would you go with me? I'm going to go to the camp store, which is all the way at the other end of the campground. I said, okay, fine. Afterward, we'll go to our next activity. Well, great. That way he'll take me to our next activity. I'll know exactly where to go. It'll be fine. And I figured he wanted to buy something, maybe some candy or something like that. So he and I trekked across the whole campground, made our way to this camp store at the edge of the property, and we walked up to it and it was closed. He did not seem surprised by that fact. And so we walked around to a side door that was unlocked, walked inside, and walked through this camp store. Everything was kind of covered up at the moment, and there was just the the lights were off except for the dim glow of security lights that sort of barely lit our path as we went through. And I looked up in the corner, and there was this blinking red light. And I I looked a little closer and I saw a camera. And I turned to him and pointed to it and said, are we going to get in trouble for being in here? And he said, oh, don't worry about it. It's a fake camera. I said, really? Well, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence about why we're in this room right now. What do you mean it's a fake camera? He said, you can see the wires hanging down from it. It's just one of those cheapo $20 fake cameras they get to make people think it's being recorded, but they can't actually afford video recording, so don't worry about it. This was back before wireless cameras existed, so that wire hanging down, yeah, it's not connected to everything. And at this point, I was really wondering why he brought me into this store. Why were we here? What were we about to do? Until we walked out the back, we we just kind of took a shortcut, walked out through the back, and there was his girlfriend waiting for him. And so the two of them connected, talked for a little while, and I stood off to the side, about the most awkward I've ever felt in my life. Like, this is the biggest, like, third wheel experience you could ever have, as I'm just sort of propped up against a tree, looking at them going, why am I here? What am I, what am I doing here? And I have never felt like so much of an outsider. Just that whole experience, the first couple of days at this camp, not knowing where anything was, not having any friends who were there, because again, it's 700 miles away from home. These kids have been coming here for years. They all know what's going on. They know each other. They're friends. They come year after year. And I have no clue what's going on. I just felt alone and like an outsider, like I didn't belong. And I remember thinking to myself, I should be playing paintball or climbing a rock wall. And here I am stuck with this guy chatting with his girlfriend. 
what is going on here? Then I thought to myself, why did he even want to bring me here anyway? This just doesn't make any sense. Even though I don't really know how to get back exactly, I'm out of here. So I said to him, hey, dude, I'm out. See ya. And I started to walk away. And he turned to me and said, no, no, please wait, please wait. Can I just have a few more minutes? What? He said, I can't go anywhere on this campground without a camper or I will get in trouble. If I'm ever seen walking without a camper, that's one of our rules, then I'm going to get in trouble. So I needed you to come with me so I could be here and not be off by myself. And I thought to myself, that's very interesting. (laughs) And I'll tell you, he turned out to be the greatest counselor I ever had. He was so accommodating and just let me do whatever I wanted. I mean, just a very, very helpful guy. But for a minute... I felt so awkward, so outside, so like I didn't belong, like I just didn't know what was going on. I wonder if you've ever felt that way, like an outsider, like a foreigner, like everybody else seems to have this life thing figured out and I'm just kind of, I don't know, I just, I don't fit in. I I don't, I don't seem to belong here. And that may not reflect all of you, but I'll bet it reflects some of you. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be a foreigner or to be an outsider and yet still be able to rejoice. What does that look like? And we're going to look at some pretty extreme situations today, but then we're going to draw principles from that back into our lives. So I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, if you would. And you can find this at efree.org slash Bible if you don't have a Bible with you. Or you can use the YouVersion Bible app, go into the events area, and you'll see us located there. You can read along with us. Before we look at this book, I want to just talk to the author, okay? So let's just ask God to teach us and and illuminate his word to us this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. I thank you for the people that are in this room and who are watching online right now. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand what you want us to know. Help us to not only absorb these truths into our heart, but then to apply them to our lives so that we would make decisions that are glorifying to you. And particularly with the topic for this series and for today, Lord, I hope that you would give us some practical tools to know how we can be rejoicing and find joy even in some of the most difficult and challenging circumstances that we face. And in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Well, just to give you a little bit of a refresher on where we're at right now, in the book of Philippians, remember that Paul is in prison, probably in Rome. And he's in there because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been sharing the good news about Jesus with people, and so he's locked up right now. And he says that there are people out there, some who are preaching the good news about Jesus with good motives, but some who are actually preaching the good news about Jesus with bad motives. They're actually doing it to try to attract their own following and draw attention away from Paul. Not that Paul was seeking attention, but he knows that there are some people out there that he has heard are preaching the gospel specifically to kind of build their own influence and leadership and following and to actually hurt Paul. And even in that, Paul says, I rejoice because there's a silver lining. I don't like their motives, but there's a silver lining. The good news about Jesus is being preached. And so I can rejoice in that. Paul was an expert at finding the things to rejoice in, even in difficult circumstances. He believes that because of the prayers of the people in Philippi, this is from last week's passage, the prayers of the people in Philippi and the help of the Holy Spirit that he will actually be released to go and see them soon. So he'll be able to encourage them. But he does realize that he may be killed. 
So that's where we're at up to this point. Then we get to verse 20. Let's read this together. He says this, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. So this is a man, Paul, who has hope, but he also has realism, right? He hopes and and is pretty convinced that he's going to go and be with the people in Philippi at some point, but he also understands that he may die. And so he's putting these two things together. Whether I live or die, I want to be bold for Christ. I want to be bold for, I want to honor Christ, which means I'm being bold for Christ. And remember, that's how he got here, is by being bold for Christ. If Paul had just kept his mouth shut, He would not be in the circumstance that he's in right now, stuck in prison. But because he was bold for Christ, because he honored Christ with his actions and being transparent about his faith, he is in prison and suffering for Christ. Paul understands that that's the most important thing for him. See, Paul actually, Paul could have had a very comfortable life as one of the religious elites in Judaism. And it's not like they were buddies with the Romans, but they had kind of a mutual agreement where as long as the Jewish people didn't revolt, the Romans sort of let the Jewish leaders do their thing and even have kind of some of their own rules and laws. And so the Jewish elites, which is where Paul came from, they were sort of, they were big guys. This was a big deal. That was a comfortable place to stay. But Paul has decided that even though it might cost him his life, And even though it puts him in prison, he wants to be bold for Christ so that Jesus is honored in what he does, even if it costs uh, him his life. And so it's at this point in the text that Paul starts to reflect a little bit. And what's really interesting here is that Paul probably did not write this letter with his own hand. He probably had someone write it down for him and he dictated it. And so if you can imagine Paul sitting there in prison, uh, possibly shackled, with guards around or a guard at the door. And here's someone probably transcribing what he is saying. And Paul's talking about life and death, whether I live or die. And he starts to actually just reflect and think and share openly his thoughts, his philosophy on life and death. Like, what does that mean to Paul? How does he view those things? And we get sort of a window here into Paul's mindset about life and death that we really don't see in this level of transparency in other letters. It's kind of a neat look at how Paul is feeling and thinking right now, some deep thoughts that he is wrestling with. So I'll show you what I mean here. In verse 21, he says, for to me, living means living for Christ. Makes sense? And dying is even better. Hold up a minute. Dying is better? How, Paul, is dying better? I mean, you're starting to scare me here, man. Dying is better for you. I don't understand that. Living for Christ, that sounds like the best thing. Like living for Christ. That's the great Sunday school Christian answer. Living for Christ has to be the best thing. How is dying better? You've got more work to do here. He continues, he says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. Yeah, exactly. Living is better, Paul. Come on. Living is better. You can do more fruitful work for Christ. Living for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. What are you talking about? You just said you can do more fruitful work for Christ. You said that you can live for Christ and yet somehow you're not sure which is better. I feel like this is an easy decision and yet here Paul is wrestling with this. And let's not gloss over this because I'm sure many of us have wrestled with this. Life or death, I'm not exactly sure which is better right now because I kind of feel like death is better. Why? He's gonna explain it to us. He says, I'm torn between two desires. He is torn between two worlds, between life and death, and he's not sure which is better. Here's what he says. I long to go and be with Christ. 
That's why dying is better. He says, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. It's kind of a stunning revelation, isn't it? I mean, this is Paul, the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived, whose life was all about taking the good news about Jesus to people who had never heard him before. And by the way, this is not at a point when the world had been reached. Okay, there were still lots of people left to reach with the good news about Jesus. And Paul says, I'm torn, and honestly, it would be better for me if I died. Why? Because I get to go and be with Christ. And selfishly, he says, that's what I want. I would love to just go be with Jesus right now. If it were just all about me and what I want, I would march up to that judge right now and I would say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. And yes, there is only one God and the Roman emperor is not a God and no one should worship him. So go ahead, kill me so that I can go be with the God who I worship. As far as Paul's concerned, that would be better for him, but not better for others. That's the selfish desire. That would be great for him, but for others, that would be terrible. And then he's going to explain why in verse 25. He says, knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Now let's unpack this verse a little bit here. Grow is one word in the Greek. Experience the joy is also one word in the Greek. And then we have faith. The word grow and the word for experience the joy are linked objects that are both modified by the phrase of your faith. And so the idea here is that there's a growing in your faith and experiencing the joy in your faith that are inseparable. They are together. And what's so fascinating about this to me is it's easy to think that all the good stuff happens when I get there, right? Like torn between two worlds, there's the world that I'm in right now, pain, misery, suffering, sin, temptation, and then there's heaven and everything's gonna be joyful and everything's gonna be awesome. And what Paul is saying here is that, hey, growing in your faith and experiencing joy are for now, not just for heaven. Joy is for now, not just for heaven. I want you to have this now. And one thing that I think we should notice here is that Paul doesn't say, I want to stay alive so I can go and I can teach you lots of Bible stuff. Not that Paul is against teaching Bible stuff. We know he has a very high view of scripture. But Paul's goal for them is not that they would have lots of Bible knowledge. Bible knowledge is great, but I think you and I both know that there are a lot of people who have a ton of Bible knowledge and not a lot of Bible application. There are a lot of people who have studied the word of God and memorized a lot of the word of God and know the scriptures, but they haven't actually grown in their faith And so they're not actually a very mature believer despite what they would have you believe. And in difficult times, they struggle a lot more because they were sort of putting on the appearance of being a spiritual giant with all of their biblical knowledge. But they didn't actually have the faith to go along with it. And so he wants growing in the faith. One thing that's very interesting to me is is how many people I've known in my life who have had loads of Bible knowledge and are always upset about something. Have you known anyone like that? People, don't point, stop pointing. (laughs) People who just know scripture frontwards and backwards and they're always upset about something. 
And it's like Paul is saying here, hey, growing in your faith means growing in your joy. There's supposed to be a joy that you have. Don't get so upset about stuff when you know who wins in the end and you know who holds the future and you know who's in control and you know the God that you serve and you have faith and you trust in him and as you grow in your faith, you don't need to be upset about all those things. Concerned, sure. And we're gonna talk about that in a few weeks as we get towards the end of Philippians. But to be upset all the time and yet have this knowledge that Jesus has saved us and he's rescued us. It means whatever situation we're in, if we have grown in our faith to that point, then we should be able to have joy in that moment. Joy is for now, not just for heaven. Paul doesn't want the appearance of spiritual growth. He wants growth that leads to joy. And he knows that if he remains alive, he will be able to to go to the believers in Philippi and help them to grow in their faith and grow in their joy. So he says this in verse 26, and when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. And just as a side note, I wanna tell you that there is a good chance that Paul actually was released from prison, able to make his way back to Macedonia, spend time with the Philippian believers before eventually being imprisoned again. And so it is... Likely, I think, we don't have enough information to nail it down, but I think it's likely that he actually did end up going back to them and encouraging them and teaching them once more. But for now, Paul is still in prison and he is torn in his mindset between life and death, between these two worlds. One is better because he can go be with Jesus. One is more important right now because he can help others to grow and experience joy through their faith. And so here's what we have to understand about Paul. He's not where he belongs right now. And I'm not talking about being in prison. I'm talking about this world. So he understands that this is not his home. Heaven is his home. And so he is homesick. He is longing to be with Jesus. He is at a point where he he has done a lot. And he's weary and he's tired and he's exhausted. And he thinks, man, it'd be great to just go with Jesus right now. And I've got that thorn in the flesh thing that I prayed three times for him to remove and he wouldn't remove it and I'm pretty sure he's gonna take that away in heaven. So I would just love to be with Jesus in heaven right now and that's the state of mind that he's in. He doesn't belong where he's at and he knows that. And then he thinks to himself, they don't belong where they're at either. The people in Philippi that he's writing to, they don't belong anymore either. He has heard, probably from Epaphroditus who came to him with some gifts to help him, he has heard that they are struggling that they are wrestling with persecution, that they have enemies where they are at. And so they don't belong either. They belong in heaven too. And they are feeling like outsiders right now. So we have to understand something about the people in Philippi to know kind of how this works. So Philippi was an interesting city in Macedonia. It was a place that when the Romans came through and conquered the area, they set up a military establishment in the city of Philippi. And so there were a lot of Roman soldiers that came and settled in this area, got married, settled down, all of that stuff. The city of Philippi, the people in the city of Philippi, were granted something called Ius Italicum, which is Roman citizenship. Now that may not sound like a big deal to you today. It was a big deal in the ancient world. These people had rights and privileges that nobody else had. If you were a citizen of Philippi and a citizen of Rome, you had some special privileges that were awesome to have, some rights that people didn't have. In fact, Paul used those privileges because he also was a citizen of Rome. 
And so when he came through back in, I think it was Acts 16, he comes through on his uh, second missionary journey. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He was in Troas, got the vision from the man in Macedonia, headed up north to that area of Macedonia and went through Philippi. And as he's there, he gets beaten and locked up with Silas. And at that point, he says, hey guys, is it lawful to beat and throw in prison a Roman citizen without a trial? And they got scared because they realized, hold on, this guy's got rights. See, if we were to do that to any of these other poor Macedonians, it'd be no big deal. But you don't do that to a Roman citizen. You could get in trouble. This guy's got rights. And so they let him go. And they were actually fearful because they had mistreated a Roman citizen. That's the kind of privilege these people enjoyed. The people in Philippi had a special privilege. They were citizens of Rome. This was no ordinary thing that they had. So what happens when a group of people who are Philippians, who have Roman citizenship, in a city that is filled with Roman military people, where Roman emperor worship has become a big deal, what happens when a group of people decide to say, we are now only going to worship the one true God who we know through Jesus and we're not going to worship the emperor anymore? Nothing good, I can tell you. They were treated very poorly because now the insiders had become the outsiders. They were no longer on the same team as all these other people in Philippi. They were this different group, this group of foreigners in their own city. They might have grown up there their whole lives, but it didn't matter now because they're not worshiping the emperor. They're worshiping God and God alone. And they have this relationship with Jesus and they're following after him. And they're now being mistreated and persecuted. And they have enemies because of this. They're foreigners in their own city. And that's why Paul says this in verse 27. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. And I hope with that background, you have a new appreciation for that phrase. This would have hit the believers in Philippi hard because they were struggling. They were outsiders in their own city. They were facing persecution. And they had this special citizenship of Rome that really didn't matter as much anymore now because people were now turning against them. And Paul is saying, hey, don't think so much about your citizenship with Rome. Or as a, as a member of Philippi, think about your citizenship in heaven. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. He's saying, look, I don't belong here. This is not my home. And I understand that you don't belong there either. Your home is in heaven. But heaven is not where God wants you right now. He'll take you there when it's time. And yes, I know this is challenging. And yes, I know you're facing struggles and persecutions. I am too. We're in this together. I understand that this isn't my home. This isn't your home. But that's not where God wants you right now. He doesn't want you in heaven right now. And so right now you need to live as a citizen of heaven, even though you are currently on earth. Now, do you ever feel like you're an outsider? Do you ever feel like you're a foreigner in your own country? or this country that you have moved to? Let me put it this way. Do you ever feel like the culture around you is going crazy? Or maybe it's just you. Do you ever feel like the government, like what is happening with the government or the media or just with our nation, with with our integrity these days, with, with entertainment? Like all this stuff is happening around us and it doesn't match up with my values. It doesn't align up with what I think should be happening. Oh no, what is happening here? What's happening here is we don't belong. This is not our home. 
Heaven is our home. And so we shouldn't be surprised when things don't line up with us the way we think they should, when they don't reflect the values of heaven. Because that's where you have citizenship right now. And so people aren't always going to get you. People aren't always going to understand everything that you do or choose not to do. Why do you go to church every week? Why do you stop and pray and thank God for your food? Do any of you do that in a restaurant and find somebody looking at you like, huh, that's interesting. Why do you choose to raise your kids differently than other people do? Why do you choose to limit the amount of activities they can be in when it would keep them out of church constantly? Why do you choose to live the way you do that's different than everybody else? Because this isn't our home. We are citizens of heaven. That's where we're at. And so we should live with behavior that is appropriate for a citizen of heaven. Then Paul says this in verse 27. He says, then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. So don't be intimidated by your enemies. It's a sign they will be destroyed, even that this is happening, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. See, before you had privileges as a Roman citizen, and now you have the privilege of suffering for Jesus Christ. That's a very different privilege. It's a very different thing to have in your life. You've trusted Christ. You're not a part of this world anymore. And so the fact that you are suffering for your faith is actually evidence of the fact that they do not know God and that you do. And that this place is not your home because you are being persecuted in this way. And it's at this point that we have to just stop all of this. We have to stop. And we have to acknowledge something here. Chances are, the vast majority of us in this room and watching online right now have never experienced the kind of persecution that Paul is talking about here, right? So we're trying to take this and apply this to our lives and we're talking about maybe feeling a little uncomfortable, Maybe feeling a little bit awkward at times. Maybe someone mocks us. Maybe someone criticizes us. Maybe we do get some bullying, but we're not talking about being thrown in jail. We're not talking about being beaten up and put in prison. We're not talking about being killed for our faith. We're not talking about a whole group of people who are against us like this. And yet there are people in this world today that are experiencing that who are believers in Jesus, just like you and me. In fact, there are more people around the world today who are followers of Jesus, just like you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, who are being persecuted for their faith in him than at any point in human history. We, who are so blessed to live in a place with so much freedom, should not forget those who are our brothers and sisters around the world and are currently suffering, like the people in Philippi, like Paul, for no other reason then they believe and share the same things that you and I believe and share. It's kind of an amazing thought. It should make us so thankful for how blessed we are, but it should also drive us to our knees for them. Paul said that he believed it would be the prayers of the Philippian people 
and the help of the Holy Spirit that would lead to his release. He believed their prayers had an impact on what happened with him in prison. That's pretty amazing. And so I want us to think about this. Your prayers can have an impact on your brothers and sisters in Christ who are around the world who are suffering in prison and suffering persecution and being kidnapped and held for ransom and all sorts of horrible things right now. Your prayers can have an impact on their situation, on their boldness. Paul asked people to pray for his boldness, on their courage, on the peace that God can give them, on their ability to rejoice in the middle of what they're experiencing. Most of us in this room have never faced anything like that and yet we have the opportunity to have an impact on people and to help people and to send help their way through God by our praying for them. That's what Paul believed. So I think we should stop right now and spend a little bit of time praying for them. So we're just gonna take a couple of minutes. I wanna guide you through it. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna come back to this text and we're gonna try to pull out some practical principles for us. It's a little different for us because most of us are not dealing with the kind of extreme situation that the people in Philippi were. And yet, there are some principles that are as instructive and helpful for us as they were for them. Would you just stop for a minute? Calm your heart. Close your eyes. Focus on God. I want you to think of a country or a place around the world where you know there are people who are followers of Jesus who have been struggling. Maybe the government is against them. Maybe their neighbors are against them. Uh, Maybe there's another religion that is persecuting them there. Think of that place and pray for those people. Pray that God would give them boldness about their faith, even in the midst of that persecution. Pray that he would guard their hearts with his peace. Pray that he would give them courage and endurance to stand strong in the midst of what they are going through. Pray that God would reveal to them the opportunities for joy, even though they are facing such hardship. Lord, we know that there are millions of people around the world who believe in you like we do, and yet we kind of have this privilege to just sort of come and go from this place as we please, and we we take it for granted that we can gather here and worship you, And, and there are people that just by doing this would be exposing themselves to persecution. And there are people that believe like we do that are currently locked up around the world, that that are being beaten. There are people right now who are being mistreated because they believe what we are talking about right now. So God, I pray that you would work in their lives to strengthen them and bring them comfort. Holy Spirit, would you just give them a peace about what they're going through? Help them to know that you are real and you are watching over them and help them to know that there are people and be encouraged by the fact that there are people around the world who are praying for them right now, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul was facing some serious persecution. The people in Philippi were facing some serious persecution. And so Paul says in verse 30, we are in this struggle together. And you and I, we just entered into the struggle of people around the world by thinking of and praying for them. But Paul says, hey, we are in this struggle together, you and I. We both feel like outsiders. We don't belong. Our real home is in heaven. You're citizens of heaven. You're feeling this struggle that you have. He says, you have seen my struggle in the past When I was locked up there, when I was beaten, you saw that and that I'm still in the midst of it. I'm still going through that struggle. 
And even though you and I don't feel that struggle to the extent that Paul and the Philippian believers did, I am certain that many of you still struggle with feeling like an outsider at times, feeling like you don't belong. That can take a lot of different forms. And so what I want to do is pull from this then a few principles that we can take with us, some that I've mentioned already, and I just want to reiterate some others that are new, that I think we can take and learn from this. Because if they were true for people who are dealing with being tortured and persecuted and imprisoned for their faith, then I think they're also true for whatever struggles and issues that we are wrestling with today. For people that longed for heaven and knew this was not their home, and for people who just feel like an outsider and feel like they don't belong, these principles, I think, apply very, very nicely in a lot of different ways. Let me show them to you. They, they come from verse 25. That's where we'll start anyway. Verse 25 says this, knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. We talked about that already, but now you know a little bit more about what the Philippians were going through and what Paul was going through at this time. And I said earlier that what Paul wants here is for them to grow in their faith and grow in their experience and experience the joy of their faith. And so we talked about the, the fact that the joy is for now, not just for heaven. So even though Paul is homesick for heaven, he could have joy now. Even though the Philippian believers no longer belonged like they did before, they could experience joy now. How does that happen? I'm going to give you some principles. It's the joy of your faith as you grow with God. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen automatically. It's why Paul wanted to stay alive. He wanted to go back to be with them, to help them with this. So let me give you four thoughts that you can take with you to be able to apply this to your lives. The first one is one we already mentioned, joy is for now, not just for heaven. Joy is for now, not just for heaven. If you find yourself struggling with joy, then you need to work on growing your faith. If you think about it, the lack of joy that we have is often the result of a lack of faith. Because when we encounter a difficult situation, we are tempted to think, well, when I get to heaven, everything will be better. But the truth is God wants you to have joy now. How do you have joy now? It's in whatever situation you're in, recognizing the fact that you have a home in heaven. That you have a God who loves you and cares for you. And so we need to recognize that that joy is for now, not just for heaven. How does that work? Well, joy in your faith comes from growth in your faith. Joy in your faith comes from growth in your faith. So what are you doing to grow your faith? Let's talk about that a little bit. When you spend time reading the Bible, God's word, when you fill your mind with that and your heart with that, when you memorize that, when you learn more and absorb that with the the right motives, not just to become an egghead, but because you want to understand more about God, when you do that, you you are putting thoughts into your mind that will become very beneficial for you when you do struggle, when you do feel like a foreigner, when you feel like an outsider. You're filling your mind with truth. And that truth helps to grow your faith. When you spend time in prayer with God, your relationship with God becomes closer and you begin to think from his perspective. You you feel kind of from the heart of God and you start to see things differently around you. And so what happens is when you come into a difficult time or you feel like an outsider, you feel like a foreigner, if you have built up your faith, grown in your faith, then you have the opportunity to do something very interesting when you face those struggles. Because you can now point back to the scripture that you have studied. You can point back to the time in prayer that you have had where God has spoken to you and and revealed to you his heart. You can point back to those times where you have grown in your faith and you can be at a point where you realize I can have joy even in the midst of this because of this truth that I have filled my life with. And so growing in your faith can lead to so much more joy in your faith. Joy that you can experience now. 
It means speaking truth to yourself, even when you really don't feel like there's much to be happy about. There have been times in my life where I've been incredibly discouraged. There have even been times in my life where I've actually been depressed. And in those moments, even when you are facing that, you can still, if you have studied and learned and and poured this into your mind, you can still speak truth to yourself and find reasons to be joyful, even though emotionally you don't feel very happy at all. That's what we're talking about. Growing in your faith so that you can experience joy in your faith. The third thing is this. Growth and joy in your faith is helped by others. So Paul said, I want to stay alive so I can go be with you, so I can help you grow in your faith and experience joy in your faith, right? Paul believed that he could have an influence on how well those people grew in their faith and experienced joy. And, and what's, what's so instructive here for us is that Paul is acknowledging the fact that this stuff happens in the context of relationships. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen in isolation. It happens when people come together who follow God and help each other to grow, help each other to see the joy in situations. It's been so interesting this last couple of weeks as I, I got pretty sick with a, with a cold for a while and then I hurt my back and so I was laid up for a couple of days and all the people in my community who uh, texted me and said, well, you're, at least you're getting a chance to you know, apply your sermon series and rejoice in the middle of all these difficulties. And some of them even said, when are you going to do a sermon series on when things go right? Just to kind of let that happen. And I know a lot of you have had a chance to apply this to your life as well. The chance to rejoice in the middle of incredibly challenging circumstances. And we don't enjoy those times. We really don't. But what's so helpful to us is when we have other people around us who remind us of the truth. Because we can grow in our faith and that helps us to rejoice, but other people can also remind us. And that's what's happened for me the last couple of weeks. People have reminded me to rejoice. People have have rallied around me and prayed for me. People have texted me randomly and just said, I'm praying for you today. And a lot of that comes from my small group And, and, and from the pastors that also kind of form another small group for me here. And so my challenge to you is, if you are not already involved in some kind of a group here at this church, get into one. All right, I'm going to say something that may sound a little controversial, but I, I hope you'll know where this is coming from. What we do in here, I would say, is about half of church. What we do in here is about half of what God had in mind by church. We do the teaching of the word. We worship God together. We, we pray together. We take communion together. We do baptisms in here. We do dedication of children to the Lord in here. And all of that is great stuff. But it's really, really hard for us to know each other well in here, isn't it? I mean, look around the room right now. Look around you. Do you see, you see everybody? Do you know everybody in this room? I mean, do you know everybody really, really well? I get to see all of your faces and I don't know all of you really, really well. And I don't like that. I don't like the fact that there's so many people here we can't get to know each other on a kind of more intimate level, but that's not possible. That's not humanly possible. And that's why it is so important for each and every one of us to be somehow connected to a group of followers of Jesus who can do for us what Paul wanted to do for the people in Philippi, who can help each other grow in their faith and experience joy in their faith. So if you're not part of a group either on Sunday morning or during the week or whatever it is, my challenge to you is to get involved in one, get plugged into one so that you can have that community that is helping you to grow and experience that joy. Growth and joy is in your faith is helped by others. Last thing I wanna share with you 
Last challenge for you today. Live like you don't belong. Live like you don't belong because you don't if you're a follower of Jesus. It's okay to be different. It's okay to live differently. It's okay for people to look at us and go, huh, that's odd. In fact, it's probably a good thing. In this country, we don't face a ton of persecution for living differently. Maybe one day we will. I don't know. But we need to be comfortable with the fact that we are going to be different from other people. And I think this is especially important for young people. So high school students, college students, young people especially are going to be tempted and tested and stretched in ways that are going to try to to take you away from your faith as much as possible, right? So you're going to have friends who are going to try to keep you or or make you do things that, that you know are wrong, but in order to fit in, you're going to be tempted. Like, I just want to be like them. I just want to fit in. I don't want to be an outsider. I don't want to be different. So why do you go to church every Sunday? So why won't you go to those places? So why won't you engage in those things? Why won't you do those things? Why do you do these other things? Why do you make sure you spend time reading your Bible and praying every day? Why don't you just come hang out with us? I think for young people especially, this is so critical that you be okay with being different. It's actually a good thing. Live like you don't belong because if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't. You're different. And that's okay, that's a good thing. Live like a citizen of heaven. Now here's the thing. When you face those kinds of struggles, and this is for all of us, when you face those struggles, those temptations to wanna fit in with other people and do something that you know you should not do, your faith is tested, right? Here's the way that works. Any of you uh, work out a lot? Anybody work out, work out, anybody a bodybuilder here? I'm looking for Willie, but I don't see him. Anybody physical trainer work out a lot? I see some nervous hands, like, is he gonna, I seriously thought about calling somebody on stage this morning, I'm not gonna lie, but then I thought, ah, that'd be a little uncomfortable for somebody. If you, if you work out a lot, um, which as you can see, I don't, if you work out a lot, you know that your muscles grow when you work out. When you exercise that muscle, it grows. And when you stop exercising that muscle, it stops growing, in fact, it does what? Kinda goes the other way, right? You have to continue exercising your muscles to see that growth. In fact, I knew a guy once who was a, a bodybuilder, incredibly buff dude, and all of a sudden he went through a change in his desires and he decided he didn't want to be a bodybuilder anymore and he went from this big, buff, burly-looking dude to a scrawny little marathon runner. And his whole physique changed when he stopped exercising those muscles the way he did and went from kind of the, the bulking up phase to the long-distance runner phase. Your faith is like a muscle. When you have opportunities for it to be stretched and exercised, when you have opportunities where people are saying, just come on, fit in with us. No, you don't need to do that right now. Or come on, you can do this thing just once. It'll be okay. Just to fit in, you know, and you have all those temptations and you exercise that faith muscle, it hurts for a little while afterward. I'm not gonna lie to you. It stings a little bit, just like when you have a good workout. And after, ooh, that's sore. I'm not sure I like that so much, but it gets stronger. That's what happens. And then next week when it happens again, you encounter the same situation. You think, well, I've kind of dealt with this before. And so it's actually a little easier this time to say no to that. But it's not that it got easier. It's that your faith got stronger. The faith muscle got exercised a little bit and it got stronger. And the more you do that, the more you grow in that faith and you're willing to exercise those faith muscles, the more when you encounter those kinds of difficult situations, you're going to be able to say, it's not that this is easy, it's not that I like it. This makes me feel like an outsider. This makes me feel like I don't belong. But I have seen up until this point how God has blessed and continued to be faithful in the midst of me choosing not to be like the rest of the world. And so yes, I will be an outsider. I will live like a citizen of heaven. 
even though it makes me feel like I don't belong. And I can find joy in that because I know that my home is in heaven, not here. Live like you don't belong. We're gonna do something different after the message today. So I am gonna close in prayer. I'm gonna pray for you. And as I do that, John's gonna come up here and we're gonna introduce you to some people. So hang tight, let's pray. God, we love you, we're thankful for you, we're thankful for how you put joy into our lives. And I think it's, it's our own humanity that causes us so often to get distracted by the things of this world, either because we wanna fit in or because we're, we're facing some opposition in some way, maybe because of our faith, maybe because of just other things in our life, but we get distracted from the, the joy that you have for us and you want us to experience that joy now. So Lord, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online right now, everyone that's watching online at a later date is watching this on our website. God, I pray that you would help them to experience real joy as they grow in their faith with you. I pray that you would help them to have the boldness and the courage to live like a citizen of heaven, to be okay with being a little bit different because we are different, because we have you inside of us and we have a a hope of a home in eternity with you and that should bring us great joy now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.